asking you to turn with me today to the book of Revelation, chapter number 2. The book of Revelation, chapter number 2. Hallelujah. If you've read the book of Revelation from start to finish before, say amen. I'm not going to say if you haven't read it, say amen. Don't. Eleven oh two, eleven oh one. Forgive my redundancy, but for those newer folks in the house, and I appreciate the ones that have been attending lately that that haven't been—they weren't here a year ago. I'll put it that way. We've we've got ten to fifteen people in this congregation that were not attending here a year ago, and I'm thankful for them. But to you, to you folks, to you folks, let me share a story with you, an embarrassing story with you. Go ahead and be seated for a moment. Years and years ago, I was Brother Churchill's assistant pastor. He will be preaching here next Sunday in person, by the way. So, And, and I appreciate you getting with him and supporting him. Um, and I know that you will. I know he'll come ready. He's excited. Got him coming back in January as well. But anyway, years ago, I was his assistant pastor. And he had a visiting evangelist named Robert Baer. Brother Baer just passed away about, oh, six, eight weeks ago, wasn't it? Maybe three months ago. He was a walking, talking, Bible-quoting machine. And he was a little rough. The personality was, he didn't have much of a sense of humor. And he had no problem telling young preachers, straighten up, or what was on his mind. And years ago, I'm sitting, I'm sitting right where Sister Angela is, not in this church, but in Pastor Churchill's uh, building. And Sister Herring and the babies are in the back. And, and I mean, the atmosphere, he's got everybody just on right here. That's just electric in that house. He's quoting and preaching, and we're all just like biting at every word. And he said, if you have a Bible in the house, say amen. Everybody roar across the congregation, amen. And he said, if you don't have a Bible today, say amen. Two little kids' voices from the way in the back. Just happened to be Josh and Brad. Amen. So he stops, this intimidating figure, and he looks right down at me and goes, shame on you, Brother Herring. I'm like, me? What? So I won't ask you if you didn't bring a Bible today, but I'm glad that you are here, and I appreciate your attention to the Word of the Lord. It means everything. The Word of the Lord is precious, not just to the Lord, obviously, but to the, to the church of God, to the bride of Christ. Revelation chapter 2, stay seated if you would. To the angel of the church, that word is translated in anybody's commentary, if you want to check me out, that angel is the pastor. To the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he, which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Hmm. I 
title today is Unknown to Me, but a Giant to Jesus. Unknown to us, but he was a giant to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people today in this world, including many in this congregation, that are absolutely spellbound by the book of Revelation. Can I get an amen? They love to talk about its types and shadows and its symbolism. And I understand their desire if it's for the right reason. To me, people that are just wanting to know more about the end times, but they don't care about anything else, are like those people that only come when certain preachers are preaching. They just want their little fancy tickled, their ears played with. But not everybody that loves the book of Revelations that way. Some people love the book of Revelation, but they also love the book of Genesis and the book of Acts. And it just happens to be that the book of Revelation is talking about more than likely the very hour we are living in today. People want to know about the Antichrist. Is he on the earth right now? The, the man of sin. When is Jesus coming back? All good topics. Very interesting subjects for you and I to learn about. But when that person doesn't want to hear me preach about controlling their own lust. And that person who will stand on their ear for an end time preacher doesn't want me to talk about why they don't support the work of God. Or when that person that just gets all ecstatic and, and sends me three texts every time I quote a scripture out of Revelation. Ooh, I really enjoyed that today, Pastor. But they don't want me to talk about their bitterness against their brother and sister. That's the person Jesus said is straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. Well, to anybody that is not in love with the Word of God in totality, I just want to inform you that life that you're living today is not supposed to be the latest Hollywood thriller. It's life. It's struggles. It's ups and downs. It's questions without answers. It's problems that seem to don't have a solution. It's life. We've all said this. That it doesn't really matter if we know when the Lord's returning. But what matters is that we're ready whenever the Lord does return. If you have time one day, look in Matthew 25. That, that story of the bridegroom coming back. That's talking about an hour that we're, it could be at least analyzed in the hour we're living in today. People just careless about life. Oh, I'll make... I'll make myself ready when I hear the bridegroom's coming back. And the Bible said at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom coming. And five of them were, what? Wise. And five of them were foolish. And the foolish said, Let's go over to the wisest company and see if we can borrow oil for our lamps. It's important that we're ready when he comes because no man knows the day or the hour. I personally subscribe to the theory 
of mid to post-tribulation rapture of the church. But it's a theory. It's my opinion. Nobody knows when he's coming back except him, the Lord himself. Still, many Christians' eyes light up if you explore the only book of prophecy in your New Testament, the book of Revelation. Prophecy written by the Apostle John in a very, very uncomfortable position of life. Funny how sometimes when things are smoothly sailing, we rarely hear from God. Maybe, perhaps, I don't know this to be true, but it could be that we're not desperate when everything's going right. We're not begging God for a word when things are going smoothly in life. We can just shine on church service, shine on the unction of the Holy Ghost, just put off God. But when John got exiled to Patmos, God started to talk to him. The beauty of the Apostle John is this. He was faithful before tribulation, and he was faithful throughout tribulation in his life. Did you hear what I just said? John was faithful before tribulation and in the middle of tribulation. What we need to do is learn from his example. It's easy to be faithful before tribulation. I happen to know that man standing back there with his hands up has been sick as a dog for two weeks. Hasn't missed prayer meeting. Hasn't missed a church service. Faithful in the middle of tribulation is different than faithful before tribulation. Oh, I feel like preaching today. But John is moved upon by God in this uncomfortable environment, and he picks up his writing stick and some parchment, and he begins to jot down what the Spirit begins to say to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. John was addressing at least chapter 2 of our, te our text to the church at Pergamos. It's called Pergamon in modern language, but that's it right there in the top circle on the western coast of what is now called Turkey. Eighty-six million people live in Turkey today. Ninety-nine percent of them are Muslim. 99% of them are Muslim. John goes in and writes a letter. He ordains, biblical history says, Antipas as the bishop or the pastor at the church at Pergamos. Let me just say this. In a country that serves idols, violently, violently opposes what we believe today, it takes a man of God to go in there and cut out a church from the rock and the bedrock of tribulation. Because he preached there, because he won souls there, he was exiled to this island down here, Patmos. He was convicted and sent there as a prison sentence. I read 
that today Patmos is inhabited by more than 3,000 people. There's grocery stores there. There's an airport there. There's, there's malls there. There's gas stations there. You never know what went on where you're living today. You might live in the halls of peace today. You never know who suffered. Patmos is that island off the southwest coast of Turkey. It's the third church, Pergamos, mentioned by John in this book of Revelation. Pergamos means height or great elevation. It was the chiefest city in the province of Messiah of Asia Minor. It was a, it was a booming metropolis. What grabs my attention out of all of John's statements, Jesus' statements, that John wrote in Revelation 2 verse 13 was that he noted Pergamos was a place where Satan's seat was and where he lived or dwelled. He not only rested there, he inhabited that place. I don't want to get too off track today, but I have, I have been into the homes of many of you um, here and there that have asked me to come to your, a new home you purchased I mean, hundreds, dozens of times I've done this, and pray for good things to occur, success of the inhabitants, etc. And you know, to rid anything that might have been detrimental occurred here in the past. Now, I don't believe in hocus pocus. All right, I don't believe in anything like that. But I do believe this. I do believe this. I'll go anywhere I'm invited to go to pray. I'll go and I'll do everything I can to bring a positive influence and impression and help you along the way. But above even the pastor's prayer for your home, how you live, what you watch, what you listen to, what you read, what your kids see you doing, that sets the tempo with whether unwelcome dimensions of the Spirit come into your home or not. Because even if we cast them out, Jesus said in Luke 11, that Spirit just kind of hovers around and it comes back and looks and sees if the home is empty, swept, and garnished, quote, King James translation, Luke 11, 26, and he sees that nothing's inhabiting now where he used to live. What does he do? He comes back in Bring seven other spirits more wicked than himself. That's Bible. That's not hocus pocus. That's your Bible. So what matters is this. Once you set the order of the house, we're living this way. We're not watching that garbage. We're not listening to that music. We're not bringing books home like that. I don't care what the public school system says. We're not bringing that home and teaching it to our kids. Once you clean that junk out of the environment of your home, it's up to you to maintain it. So many good comments the other night, Brother Rick began them, about the maintenance of the temple. You know, if you weren't here Wednesday night, get on the podcast site, right? It's on there. We talked about the value of the temple. Not the literal temple, but your, your body, the, the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's up to you to maintain your house. You can't call the preacher every time. You feel a bad spirit in that house. 
If, if you feel bad things, start checking around your home. What am I doing? What am I looking at? Am I inviting things in here by how I... He said, Pergamos, this city to the north, right on the coast of western Turkey, was the seat of Satan where he dwelled. And there's something about a reputation. Preachers, it takes a man of God. If my cousin's watching, Teresa, a woman of God. Not some, it's just, just coming out, all right, sister? It has nothing to do with where you have been. Not some Bible school order, ordained preacher. Not somebody that your dad called into ministry. Look, if it's genuine, you'll be put to the test, trust me. If you're, if you're a ministry want to be involved in, especially pastoral or any of the fivefold ministry of Ephesians 4, yeah, yeah, you're going to be tested. But genuine men of God, genuine women of God, those are the only ones that dare go into Satan's backyard and try to win a soul for the kingdom of the Lord. The throne of Zeus was in Pergamos. The temple of Trajan was in Pergamos. The revered symbol of the city of Pergamos was multiple snakes in a nest. Fitting. Fitting that its chief, chief occupant was the serpent. How appropriate. You're not going to find some plagiaristic actor, copycat, Preacher going into a place where Satan lives. Some guy out to be more popular with the little circle of boys and girls. Hello, preachers. Commentaries, multiple, I say that plural, say that Pergamos was given to idolatry, idolatry more than any other city on current record, in current record, unquote. Anti-medicine people might like might appreciate this sarcasm. That also in Pergamos is one of the most contemporary in that age medical schools. Some people don't believe you should take any kind of medicine pills. Where's your apostolic faith, Pastor Herring? Wisdom mixed with faith. Everybody knows what Luke did for a living. Luke made his living by medicine, doctoring. Can it go overboard? Anything can go overboard. I remember, remember telling Brother Kenny, I told uh, a good friend of mine, Believer, you know, just generic term there. Um, told him about Sister Herring's cancer. And I'm oh, good, let's have prayer right now. We had prayer. And he like like trying to pastor me said, Don't you dare let them people talk you into going in there and them 
putting all kind of toxic poisons in her body. I said, let me tell you, I respect you, sir, but that's, you're, in, you're in territory you don't belong. I haven't invited you there. I don't welcome your comments, not when it concerns mine. I don't think we should become puppets for the system, but I do believe that wisdom, God gave society knowledge. He gave people the ability. Well, I forget, was it Josh? I think it was when he was just a little guy. He had pneumonia. Josh and Brad, Brad had pneumonia. And some of you might remember the Bartko family. They're still around in the valley. But Dr. Bartko had a practice right downtown Palmer. Actually, he moved to Wasilla at that time. But, and uh, we went up, and this pneumonia was getting bad. He was, he was just beyond sick, a little, you know, less than a year old, I believe. And it went on and went on and went on and went on and went on. So we sought out Dr. Bartko. Dr. Bartko in that day, he, he was wearing the fur seal vest. He was an old-timer, old-timer. He was a good guy. You know, probed and checked over Brad and prescribed penicillin. I don't, it was just a couple of days. And the kid was back to normal. I thought, penicillin, that's all it took? I mean, that's my non-unscientific terminology, but that's what it was. We could have sat home and said, I claim it, I name it, I frame it. No disrespect intended. But God gave the system enough knowledge to know we can access help. We can access help to it. Now, some people, I'm getting off track here, forgive me, but there's some people go to the ER just because they cough twice today. Give me a break. Anyway, there was a medical school there. And there were a lot of demons in that town. Wouldn't you expect that? Where Satan's seat was. It's where he dwelt. You, you can, we can sort of spiritualize the seat of Satan, and I'm going to momentarily. But you can't spiritualize where he lives. That's literally to be translated, where he dwells. Now, according to Webster, a maxim, M-A-X-I-M, is an adage, a saying, a proverb, a general truth. The Jews in this day had a maxim commonly known proverb that anywhere scripture was not taught was a seed of Satan. Unquote. A seat of Satan. An opportunity. A seat, a present place for the enemy. Hey, I'm not inviting him anywhere I go. I don't know about you, but I want the Word of God to be the highlight of my home, my life, my ministry. I don't want to just talk about it at church. I want it to be something I'm, I've got very close to me on Monday afternoon and Thursday night. I've not given him a seat. And so when men begin to teach the Word of God, Satan's seat starts getting uncomfortable. That leads me to five very powerful words 
spoken of by Jesus in Revelation 2, verse 13. Antipas, hallelujah, was my faithful martyr. Antipas was my faithful martyr. You know the, the cool thing about that name, Antipas? There's 31,189 verses in the Bible. I have counted them more than once. 31,189 verses in the Bible. This is the only scripture this man's name comes up. There's one other Antipas. It was the son of Herod, and he's called Herod Antipas. Totally different character. This is the only place in all of Scripture this martyr comes to the table. We don't know how young he was or how old he was. We don't know if he was single or a family man. We don't know if he was educated or not educated. We don't know him at all. We don't know anything about him. It's just, it's just a reach to, to guess. He's unknown to me. but a giant to Jesus. Don't know if he had red hair or brown. Unknown to me. But he shows up in one verse in this prophetical utterance of John. Jesus said, I like this, he was my, Revelation 2.13, one more time, my faithful martyr. I've always, I've always wanted wondered how to get into that dimension with the Lord where I could say, the Lord is my shepherd. David didn't have to be cheer-led or prompted to say that. That came out of the abundance of his heart. He's my shepherd. And Jesus said, Antipas was my faithful martyr. Personal to him. The work of this man that we know nothing about was a personal thing to the Lord. A member of the church goes without saying. Again, John ordained him as the pastor of the church at Pergamos. John is set down to that undesirable place of life. I always get hung up here. Revelation I just get hung up on this. If you take into consideration Antipas' raw courage, not I dare you, little brother, raw courage. I'm talking about unapologetic, naked courage. That's the very thing that put his name on Satan's radar. Oh, it's quiet in here today. But it's also the very thing that got him on the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. His courage. If we're waiting on somebody else to win a soul, where's our courage today? If we're waiting on somebody else to invite your family members, where's our courage today? Someone has to make a difference and thank God this unknown to me but a giant to Jesus Wow. Raw courage. I'm going anyway, courage. 
Look what they did to John. I'm still going, courage. My mentor, my leader, look what they did to him. I'm still going, courage. We like to act like we have that kind of courage. John 12, 24, surely, surely in the, in the text, the context of this statement, you would find Antipas somewhere, except the corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it's going to bring forth much fruit. Whatever trouble Antipas caused hell, cost him his earthly life. Now, we don't shout about that. But Jesus, he spiritualized that. You save your life, you lose it. If you don't deny yourself, the four men, in fact, he went on to say, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. So this infamous, ignominious, notorious dirt bag of a man named Nero. Bible Dictionary Nelson's, to be exact, says Nero had Antipas put into death by casting him into a brazen bull heated up at their idol-worshiping altars to lethal temperatures. You know what his charge to be put to death was? Casting out demons from the local population. Satan's seat, Satan's house. What are you throwing him in there for, Nero? Because he helped people. Because he got spirits out of people's homes. He got demons out of people's minds. He got people that were bound by drugs and alcohol delivered. It's funny. And I don't mean in the laughable sense. But it's ironic how people want you as a family member off of your addictions. You're not a welcome member at the, church, at the Christmas party. If, you're, if you have a drinking problem, you always get too far. You take drugs. Everybody knows it about that family member. They're the one person you hope doesn't show up. But you take that addict, that addict, and you put him in a Pentecostal altar. And God fills him with a baptism of the Holy Ghost. Sets the captive free. Binds up the broken and hearted. Sets at liberty them that are bruised. Take that same man or woman that you didn't want to deal with while they were addicted. Set them free by the blood of the Lamb, and they become a Bible fanatic. Jesus said the same that had been forgiven much, the same loves much. So if, if, if John Doe came to church thinking, I'm a good guy, I just need to be involved in a community church environment. John Doe will never have any joy. John Doe, John Doe loves himself too much. But when you see yourself as a broken, sinner, vile in the presence of God, you'll be the aisle runners and the, the jumpers and the shouters. Because to whom much... It's been forgiven, the same loveth much. Well, pastor, I like to maintain my dignity more than that. I get it. I get it. I get it. 
when your child, but when your baby won't quit coughing, when your family member comes back from the doctor with a bad report, do you really care what that dude across the aisle is thinking about you? Do you really care what somebody in the front row is thinking about you? No, no, no. Antipas had courage. Courage by the bucket loads. And Jesus said in Revelation 2 verse 10, If you are faithful unto death, I will give you a crown of life. So what does that say? It says God is monitoring the race of life all the way to the end. He's saying, hey, you, you can't just be unfaithful because you're struggling right now. Just because things are working, in your opinion, against you doesn't mean you can just, I'm, I'm tired of God. I'm tired of the pastor. I quit. He said, be faithful unto death. Thank you, Brother Tostin. That's exactly how we need to serve God. Not halfway, not 90% of the way. It's all or nothing. And the Apostle Paul, one of my favorite verses in the book of Romans, he said in Romans 8, 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. I guarantee you it's going to be better when we cross that line. Something to look forward to. No more IRS. No more ER visits. No more you got a minute. No more bitterness. No more unforgiveness if you're faithful unto death I'm going to give you a crown of life amen again in Acts 15 26 if you were writing the subject filling in the blanks of what we don't know about Antipas if I were doing that I would surely say he was one of these men that hazarded their life He wasn't part-time child of God. He risked his life so that somebody could come to God. But again in Revelation 2.13, this is just my observation. It just seems like one beam of glory shined upon Antipas one day, one moment, one event. My faithful martyr Antipas. You don't hear of him after? Didn't hear about him before. But there's one thing that remains today. Persecution. Oh, it's modernized. I know husbands that persecute their wives. Wives that persecute their husbands. Kids that are allowed to persecute the parents. Oh, get Wednesday night, get on the podcast, listen to Wednesday night. Parents who persecute the kids. Now, we don't, we don't live like capital. We don't live capital 
you know, spiritual persecution. We live in a corporate level of it. But there are people on the planet alive today that are being punished to the death for not denying the Lord Jesus Christ. It amazes me. I've said this since I was on the evangelistic field. I must have heard somebody say it, but I don't recall that. But it just stuck in my brain. I, I don't have to worry about some of those people that all they want to talk about is revelation, 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 revelation. Because soon as, as soon as they don't get that raised, they're ready to throw out the world anyway. I quit. Soon as somebody does them wrong, I quit. You don't see them for a month. And you want to talk about going through the tribulation? You get a headache and you want to quit church? Oh. Tribulation, persecution, I should say, is still very real today. Corporate persecution happens every day in our life. You're not included in the cool group at work. You're not included among the even the cool group of the church. I hate that, and I smash it, stomp it out every time I see it. You're not included in cool anywhere. Because you're one of them Pentecostals. Persecution. Smaller degree, of course. But it still makes you kind of wince inside. When they don't invite you to the, you know, the company Christmas party because they know you're going to be the wet rag. Anybody remember Outdoors and More, the pers- uh, sporting goods store in Wasilla for ever and ever and ever in the little mall there? I used to work there. Guy was a good, good friend of mine. And uh, it was Christmas time one year, and, and I was putting bindings on skis, and they had they, party time, lock the door, come to the back room, we're going to have a Christmas party. And it took about 30 seconds before revelry was in high gear. And uh, I kindly excused myself from the boss, and I said, I, I'm just going to get out of here. I got, I've got wife and kids at home, and I, I just don't, I'm not good in this environment. I'm not telling you I'm better than you, but I'd rather throw up than stay there. And the boss walked me to the front door, and he said, he wasn't any older than me, about my age, but he, he said, can I just give you a word of wisdom? I said, sure, sure, sure. He said, you need to let your religious hair down once in a while. He said, it shouldn't always be that you've got walls up against everything in life. I said, I appreciate it. I appreciate your effort anyway. But if you'd been where I had been, if you had the experience that I have, this apostolic Jesus name, one God truth, is more than just being a member of a church somewhere and having your name on the roll. You got to have some courage once in a while, bro. You got to have courage, sis, and stand for what God has given you. Persecution is very common. Family members, they do it all the time. All the time. Paul said in Galatians 6.17, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. What's he talking about? Persecution. Persecution. 
Give me five minutes. I promise you I'll stop. Exodus 1.12 said the more they persecuted the people of God, the more they multiplied and grew. Even in that uncomfortable place, John, where you are, something good's going to happen out of this. Even on Patmos, where no one would ask to be exiled to. We are reading today, thousands of years later, manna for the soul. All because John was placed in a predicament of life that I wouldn't volunteer to be put in. I'm sure you wouldn't ask to go in John's place. But the more the devil persecutes people of God, the more God's going to do for you. I believe it. The more you stand up for what you have, the more God will give you in blessing of return. Luke 6, 22 and 23. I'll just read my notes and let you go. No commentary. Blessed are ye, Jesus said, when men shall hate you. I don't feel very blessed when people hate me. And when they shall separate you from their company. Uh, you're the one that's not invited. Reproach you. Cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Verse 23. But rejoice, he said. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Wow. What Paul and Silas do in that Philippian jail? Start praising the Lord at midnight. Rejoice and leap for joy. There's your combination, brother. Rejoice and joy. Why? Because your reward is great. For in like manner did they, did their fathers rather unto the prophets. Exodus 14, 3. God said this. God said this. Pharaoh thinks the wilderness has my people shut in. God said he thinks the more heat he puts on my people, the more closed in it becomes. He didn't have any idea what God was about to do for the people Pharaoh was persecuting. Satan thought he knew Job's reaction. He said, tell you what, God, I'll make a deal with you. Job 1.11. He said, curse his life, touch all that he has, and he'll curse you to your face. I wonder why he thought that. I wonder why Satan really thought that. It could be that he's seen too many other people of the faith. I'm done with this God stuff. If this is all you care about me, I'm out of here. Maybe he'd seen patterns, but he hadn't seen Job yet. I don't know much about him, but he was a giant to the Lord Jesus. Go ahead, touch his life. He'll curse you to your very face. But God empowers the faithful. God always empowers the faithful. That's why Paul said, be strong in the Lord. Ephesians 6.10, in the power of his might. You want to look up to somebody, bro? Hey, sis, you want to look up to somebody in life? First of all, stay strong. But you want to look for people to follow and emulate their life, their pattern? I can give you better names than Taylor Swift and Britney Spears. I can guarantee you that.
about a man that's unknown to us? But he was a giant to Jesus. We're not talking about Peter, Paul, James, and John, Daniel, and David. We're talking about Antipas, my faithful martyr. Unknown to me doesn't mean unknown to him. I've said it until you could say it for me over and over and over. God sees every faithful action that we exhibit. He may not be moving like you want him to move right now, but he's watching and he's keeping records. And every time you say, I know she doesn't love me, I'm still going to go to church. I know he doesn't care about me, I'm still going to church. I know they've, they've exiled me from the family, I'm not giving up church, praise God. Every time you exhibit courage, God gives you power. God, we thank you today for the mercy of God, the glory of God, the helping hand of God, that great wisdom of God that you give us, Lord. Help us to be strong, stronger, stronger in the faith, stronger in our testimony, stronger in our witness, hallelujah, stronger in what we have and we want to hold on to. I don't want to compromise I don't want to barter my soul. I don't want to give away what you have freely given me. I want to cherish the truth. I want to nurture this experience. I want to love my walk with God. I don't want anybody to think I'm for sale. I don't want anybody to think I'm for sale. I want Jesus to look at my life and say, you've been faithful. Through persecution, you've been faithful. Through struggles, you've been faithful. Through trials, you've been faithful. If he opens the book of life today and looks at your name, what's he going to read? If right now he's got the book of life open in heaven and looking at your name, what does it say? Oh, precious God. We don't need to shout and run. Oh, but I want to I dwell in your presence, God. I want to dwell in that presence of the Spirit of God that I sense in the house today, Lord. I want to be counted among the faithful, Lord. I want to be counted among the chosen, Lord. I don't want to sell what I have because of fear. I want to hang on to it like the horns of the altar. Help me, God, where I'm insecure to be strong. Help me where fear has talked to me to be bold. Help me where apprehension has preached to me, God, to be courageous. Help me, God, where I stumble at my testimony to be bold as a lion. Help me, God, to have a portion of the spirit of this man who went into Satan's backyard and built a church. Oh, Jesus, I love you. 
I'm praying God today a double portion of desire comes upon you to be a witness. Comes upon you to be a difference maker. A double portion of desire comes upon each and every one of us here. Stand up for what the Lord's given you. To preach with mercy and compassion on your job, in your family, in the community. To preach with love the goodness of God in the land of the living. Is my name written there on the pages, bright and fair? Is my name written in the book of life? Oh, precious God. Precious.